0: Okay, flip your bulletins, uh, back over, we're starting a new sermon series today called or- Ordinary. Doesn't that sound exciting? Usually it's like extraordinary or, or, or amazing or, or stupendous or uh, any other word that sounds really exciting. Ordinary is not typically an exciting word. Hey, I want to be ordinary. No, no, no one looks for a spouse and goes, I just want an ordinary spouse. I mean, some of you might, you might be like... Is everybody weird now? But I want an ordinary spouse. You don't raise kids and constantly tell them, I just want you to be ordinary. If you would just be, be, be ordinary, that would be great, right? Like, you, you don't go on an ordinary, but you're not, like, looking at vacations. I know you're starting, to. We're already starting. It's, it's 60 degrees yesterday. Summer's coming, right? And so, like, I know you're already looking. You're looking at spots. You're like, you know what? I, I just want an ordinary place. You no know, bed bugs and, you know, and stuff like that. I mean, totally total, it's ordinary, right? Most of the time... The word ordinary and your walk with Christ, they don't go together. Like I just want to be an ordinary follower of Christ. The the, the fact of the matter is, for most of us, when we think of our, our call that God has on our life, we tend to attach it to something extraordinary. Like, 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 we tend to want to be part of uh, a, a mission trip somewhere, or we want to be part, and none of this stuff is bad, or we want to be part uh, of, of a group where we're on stage, or maybe we want to, we want to preach, or maybe we want, to do, we want to have a blog that's famous, and people come and they want our opinions, or maybe we want a lot of Instagram followers, and we post Bible verses all the time, and, and we do, like, something big in between the selfies that you post, and so, like, something... Something big like that, like when we think of being used by God, we tend to think, you know, God does extraordinary things with with, with our lives. And what happens is, is for the other 99.9% of us that are just ordinary, we struggle. Let me explain to you something. I have 168 hours a week in my life, and so do you as well. Like, we all are the same. We all have seven days a week. Seven times 24, 168. If you don't believe me, get your iPhone out and do put the calculator on right now. But there's 168 hours. So for me... So, for me, I have three hours a week where I stand on this stage. Three. There's three hours where I come up here for 35 to 50 minutes and, 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 I, and I preach and I do my thing. And then the rest of my life, 165 hours, very ordinary. Like, I'm a pastor of a church, but, but a lot of our conversations and our meetings are very ordinary meetings. Like, the conversations we have with people, the conversations we have about stuff. Oh, we need insurance. I didn't know we needed that. Let's just go with it. Oh, we need to have workers' comp. Oh, we need to fix that light bulb. Oh, we need to unclog the toilet for the tenth time in Limerick because somebody keeps clogging it. I you might want to go to the doctor about that. Like, I don't know why you wait to come to the house of God to do that. I'm not sure. Maybe we need to call a plumber. Hey, it smells like gas in Plymouth Meeting. We got that handle. I mean, it's very, it's very ordinary. Like it's it's a ve- my life as a, as a parent and as a husband, the very ordinary. Like like I go home. I'm gonna go home today. I'm gonna take my pants off. I'm gonna put my sweatpants on because that's what I do. Some people take the shirts off. I put sweatpants on when I go home. I'm not that confident, and so I put sweatpants on. And, and I'm gonna chill the rest of the day. Very ordinary. Tonight for dinner after church is over, we're gonna eat cereal. Like we eat cereal. Every Sunday night, it's super healthy, we eat Captain Crunch from Audi's, it's not Captain Crunch, you know, or, or we eat, we, we, we eat another, uh, the peanut butter one, the one that tastes like peanut butter and chocolate, that one is glorious, I'm going to take the buck, take the milk, I'm going to keep filling it up, you keep topping it off, like I'm a very ordinary guy, I'm going to get up tomorrow, somebody's going to have wet the bed in my house, I'm going to throw the things in, very ordinary. Every Sunday you roll up, if it's my turn to preach, I'm going to come up here and I'm going to stand on this platform and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something that, that's not typically ordinary. Many of you will never have the chance or opportunity or some of you are going, thank God I'm never going to do that. I'm right there with you. But everything else is really ordinary. And I've come to the, to the understanding that there, there, there's purpose in the ordinary. Like there's if I have three hours a week where, where I'm doing something on the stage and this, like this is not my, this is not my my, my, my life's will. This is not what I am standing on the stage. There, there's much more to me than, than just this. That's what I figured out. That there's much more, maybe as or more important things that I'm gonna do. There's more important conversations that I'm gonna have this week that are very ordinary, that none of you ever know about. Like some of you are right there with me, you understand, the majority of your life, even though you don't think it is because you always post on social media, is very ordinary. And I want to talk to you about that today because I think there's, there's purpose in the, in the 165 hours. I think there's, there's stuff that God wants to do. Like, like I don't know if you ever prayed this prayer. There's a young boy named Max and one time he prayed, God, I want to, I want to be used by you. I, I, I want to preach to thousands of people. I, I, I want to pack out, he lives in California. I want to pack out the Rose Bowl for your glory. God, I want to I write a number one hit. God, I want to start a blog about kids in Africa that don't have it. God, God I want to do all these things for you. And God's saying, that's good, Max. That's great. God, let's get started. God, let's, let me do something big. And God looks at Max. He says, that's great. See that, see that young man sitting over, the, over there on the third row over there, third seat in? Yeah, I see him. He needs to ride home from church today. And by the way, when you take him home from, from church, the lady living beside, beside him it's an elderly, elderly widow that, that's having a hard time. She's worried about having to move a broken refrigerator. Why don't you go in there before you go home and, and help her move it? And, and Max goes, but God, what about the world? And God says to Max, so think about it. But we tend to kind of, kind of miss it. We tend to kind of think that the, 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 to do something for God, it's, it's, it's going to get you pressed. It's going, to, it's going to be a big deal. It's going to get you a pat on the back. It's going, to, it's going to get you into a newspaper. It's going to get you a lot of followers. But the truth is, that most of the extraordinary things that God did in the Bible were accomplished by very ordinary, everyday people. There's not a person in the Bible that was famous before God started to use them. Not one. It wasn't like God went to like the one with the most Instagram followers that posted the most pictures about Bible scriptures. It was like, you are the future pastor of my church. That's not what he did. He got the fishermen, and he got the, the murderers, and, and, and he, he got the normal, everyday Joes, and the normal, everyday Sallies, and he accomplished extraordinary things through their life. In fact, in the, in the Message Bible, in, in Romans chapter 12, verse, verses number one and two, uh, the message is, is kind of a summar, summarization of the, of the Bible. I love it because oftentimes we don't, we don't understand what the Bible's saying, and the message just makes it really easy. To understand it. So the Bible says in Romans 12 In the message Bible says, so here's what I want you to do. I want want God to help you. And this is how I want God to help you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping. You're eating. You're going to work. And you're walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. I want like the times in your life when no one else is really seeing you. Maybe only your kids or your wife. I I want the times in your life when you pull up to the the grocery store and somebody cuts you off. I I want that time. I want the times in your life when you're just going to work again in the same cubicle, typing the same buttons on the same computer. I want that time. I-, I want the time when you're going to see your family. You see, here's the thing. It's very easy to be extraordinary and step out and do kind things and do good things and be encouraging to people that, 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 that need you. It's very hard to do it to your family. It's very hard because they're completely unimpressed with you. Listen, my kids are completely unimpressed. I can go home and tell them, we oh, yeah, have this many people in church today. They're going to go less than only football. They don't care. I'm a very ordinary person to them. There, there's, there's, there's power in the ordinary. So I'm going to coin a new phrase for the next five weeks, and it's going to be this. I want to challenge you to be an ordinary radical, to embrace the ordinary time in your life in a very radical, purposeful way, to understand the 168 hours that you've get, you're given every week, every one of those has, has extraordinary purpose. So the title of my message today, as we kind of go through different things, we're going to talk about being an ordinarily encouraging person. Man, that's hard to find in Pennsylvania, isn't it? I'll set you apart, but listen, most of the time that that happens not on a stage, it happens in a one-on-one conversation. Today I want to talk to you about being ordinarily kind. Ordinarily kind. I want to take you into a story in the book of Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 36. I want to talk to you about a woman named Tabitha. Tabitha doesn't get a lot of press in the Bible. She's in a couple verses in this, this chapter of the Bible. But we learn a lot about, about kindness from, from Tabitha. I want to show you how ordinary she was. The Bible says in Acts chapter 9, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. I'm not sure why, why in parentheses that, that, that Luke, the writer of Acts, put this. I think that because he thought the name was so, was so silly. So it says, in Greek, her name means meant Dorcas. Like, that's an awful name. You know, like that's 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 not like that's not kind. That's not kind by her parents. We're gonna call her Dorcas. That's very dorky. So anyway, she was always doing good and helping the the poor. There was this disciple named Tabitha, and she was always doing good and helping. Always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lida was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lida, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he had arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. And I love this part right here. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. There's a line of people that, that, that she impacted. You may not ever be a mega star, but if you're ordinarily kind, you can be mega missed. There's plenty of famous people that nobody misses when they die. In fact, some of us are glad. There's plenty of powerful people that, that never, never really accomplish much. See, for, for Christians, God is, is really concerned with what you look like in the ordinary. You see, you can be a really good, successful basketball player and be a horrible husband and father. The hero of my generation is Michael Jordan, who's been married a bunch of times. But for a Christian, if you want to be successful, it often happens, and God is more concerned with the, with the ordinary. Because oftentimes, that's who you really are. The scripture keeps going. The Bible says, Peter sent them all to the room, and he got up uh, down on his knees and prayed. Turning towards a dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became well known over Jopa, and many people believed in in the Lord. I think that the the struggle in that passage, we want to focus on her being raised from the the dead, which I think is is incredible. But I want to focus on on the fact that she she was ordinarily kind without a title. See, here's what I need you to know about kindness. Kindness, number one, is a flow thing. Everybody say flow thing. At all the campuses, come on, it's a, it's a flo- I practice, it's a flow thing, right? It's a flow thing. Some of you have no flow, you have no game, right? You need to get, you need to get the flow. It's a flow thing. See, for some of us, we think that, that doing something powerful for, for God, it starts when we get a title. It starts when we get a platform. It starts when we stand in front of people and we influence people. It starts when somebody recognizes our greatness and gives us an opportunity to lead a ministry in a church. It it starts there. But you'll see for Tabitha, it it has nothing to do with that. She's not a pastor. She's not a deaconess. She's not the head of the ministry of this church. She's just a woman. She's just a girl. And there's no doubt She loves Jesus. There's no doubt that she's following Jesus in the very ordinary parts of of her life. You need to understand, for some of us, what we think is we're going to hear this message, we're going to go, okay, I'm going to concentrate on being more kind because I'm a jerk. You need to understand where kindness comes from. Pastor Bob sent me a very interesting article from a newspaper in Chicago Chicago, that happened in November 2015, a couple months back. They did a study. Of religious kids versus kids that never go to church to see who was more compassionate and caring. Just young kids. I don't know if you've ever brought your kids to church and you're like, do you ever listen in church? Ever. What did you learn about? We learned about forgiveness and kindness. And I'm like, you're being a jerk right now to your brother. We just left. Do you ever listen, right? So we do this with ourselves. We go, okay, I want to be more kind. So I'm going I'm to read some books on kindness. And I'm gonna, I am gonna want my kids to be kind. So I'm going to take them to, to church. So they did this study about these these individuals, these young kids that were raised in, in, in the Muslim faith, in the Christian faith, and, and with parents that didn't go to church. They gave them things to see if they would share. You ever, you ever test your kids like that? They never share. They're so, such heathens. It's like you give them like dogs. They just take it. So they tested these kids out, and they found that the Muslim kids and the Christian kids were, 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 not, were not really caring and kind at all. Like adult, They go to church every week. They learn the faith. They learn, they learn about the man. The man never learns about them, and never comes into their life, and they're not... They're not kind at all. And then, and then, weirdly enough, the kids that never go to church, they're, they're more kind. See, because I think we often get kindness confused with, with a choice. Kindness is a, is a choice. Kindness is, is something that I, that I learn how to do, and, and it's just not, tr- it's not true. Kindness outside of, of, of the Bible and outside your walk with Christ is like a, a give-and-take reality. I, I'm kind to you when you're nice to me. It's, a, it's kind of a reaction thing. However you act towards me, I'm gonna react towards you. So if you smile at me, I don't know if you've ever been in Pennsylvania, and you just wonder to I started smiling at people everywhere. Try it this week. You just walk around and you're like, you know what I mean? Freak people out. I, I don't understand it. I'm like, what is, what is, just smile, your frown, and your face is so ugly right now. Like you look awful. And we think kindness is kind of a reaction thing. I'm going to react to you the way that you act towards me. But biblically, kindness is a, is a flow thing. I want you to see something in this story you need to understand. Way before that day that she raised, got raised from the dead, the Bible says of Tabitha, the Bible says she's a disciple. She's a, she's a disciple of Jesus Christ. The word disciple means, by definition, a pupil or inherent of the doctrines of another or a follower. So what she's doing, the Bible's saying, is is it's just a natural thing that she's feeding the orphans and taking care of of widows and she's making clothes for people. She's not trying to do it. It's who she is. Why? Because she's a disciple. Kindness is is just something that flows. So here's how it works. You ready? Number one in our lives, if we're going to be kind, we need to understand kindness, number one, it it flows in. It's not something you develop. It's something that you get when when the Holy Spirit flows into your life. Listen to what the Bible says, and I love this passage in Romans 2. And do you show contempt for the riches of of God's kindness? Then it says forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. That kindness is actually the thing that draws you to Jesus and the thing that flowed into your life. I don't know if you ever learned this principle. I used to teach my students in my first church principle, the principle of garbage in. Garbage out. You ever get taught that by your parents? They're like, well, here's why you're cursing, because you always listen to curse words. If you go at home and you listen to a bunch of gangster rap and then you have a problem where you're like, you you know, I'm going to mess everybody up and shoot somebody. That's not natural. There's a good chance you have indulged your ears to that. Listen, if you have a lust problem and you're consistently looking at images and you're lusting them, look, the garbage you put into your life. It always comes out. That, that's the way that, that it works. And what the Bible was telling us is the very first thing you need to understand about kindness is it's not something you develop. It's not a choice that you make. It's not an attitude that you choose to have. No, no. It's something that God does in your life long before he does it through your life. It's God's kindness that come in, comes into your life. You were an enemy of God. You, you great Christian man or woman, you who have been in church your entire life, God was never impressed with you. He's never been impressed with you. He's never looked at you and said, okay, now I get it. I know why you're so great. You were an enemy of God, the Bible says. Your sin separated you from God forever. But it was God's kindness that led you to repentance. His kindness flows in. And then naturally, whatever flows in, if you eat some Taco Bell, let's just think about it, (laughs) always comes with regret, right? It's great going down. It awful coming out, right? If his kindness flows in, come on, it's just natural, it's scientific. What happens? God's kindness flows, flows out. It stops being about, about what you do, it starts becoming who you are. It's who you, it's who, kindness, has, you don't wake up every day and go, I'm gonna be kind. Like it's a choice. Today, you know what? I was a real jerk yesterday. I'm gonna be kind today, I'm gonna be patient. I'm going to be forgiving. I think I'm going to throw God a bone. And today, uh, I, I'm going to have tender heartedness towards other people. It's not something you choose. It's who you are after that you allow God's love to flow into your life through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says it's just natural. Watch what the Bible says in Galatians 5. It says, it says but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And there is no law against those. Against such things, the Bible says, "There's no law." The, the, the fruit of the Spirit, in other words, if the seed of of God is planted in your soul through the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the fruit that's going to come through your life, it's not going to be, "Hey, man, I'm just getting better. I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm getting more uh, attached, and, and 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 I'm I'm thinking about it more." No, no, no. It's just, it just happens. Like it just, it just flows out. What flows in, always flows out. I'll give you, I'll give you an example. My son Lincoln, he's not. His, his bathing is questionable. Like, you have any kids like that, put your hand, you're, you're like, you're, you tend your kids in, you're like, you wash? They're like, yeah, and you're like, you didn't get wet. So oftentimes Lincoln will go in the morning, he stands in a shower, it's not like, it's not like you, he's running around thing, and he'll come out, and I'll be like, your, your hair's not wet, and he always says, I, I dried it. Listen, that, that's a total lie, hogwash. You don't dry anything off, right? Nothing is dry. So, so this week was, was his 100-year it was hundred day of school, and so he had dressed like an old person, right? And so my wife put baby powder in his hair to make his hair gray. That happened on Monday or Tuesday, I don't remember. On Thursday, he's getting out of the shower; he still has baby powder in his hair. <laughs> now, oftentimes I look at him and I have to take him at his word, even though he's a liar, right? Because <laughs> that's what kids are—they lie. So I looked at him. I said, "And, and we said, we said, did you did you wash your hair? Yeah." And we said, "Well, you still have powder in your hair." What? I'm like, you didn't wash your hair, because if you get under the shower, it's just scientific that you're going to get wet. You get soaked, right? Like, you definitely did not wash your, your hair. It's the same thing. Listen, if you're having trouble being kind to other people, it's a great indicator that your heart is not in a healthy place with Jesus. If you're having a hard time being kind... In the ordinary times of your life, I'm not talking about when we go out in an event, we put our Journey Church church t-shirts on and we go out and we're kind to people. I'm not talking about those people. Any fool can be kind to people you don't know. Right? Like it is much harder to be kind to your husband and your wife. It is much kinder to be kind with your kids. It's much kinder to be kind to your neighbors. It's much, it's much harder to be kind to the person that cuts you off. I'm talking about those people. If you're having trouble, it's, it's a great indicator that your heart's not, not healthy because when it flows in, it always flows. In fact, the Bible says in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Then it says, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you'll do nothing. If you have a hard time with kindness... It's because you're not connected to the one who makes you, you kind. Number two, I want to show you the effects of, of kindness. And so, number two, I just put when, God, when God's kindness is, is flowing right. I love the, the profound impact that Tabitha had on, 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 on this, this city. She never preached a message, the Bible says. She never got a, a, a title in the church. She just lived her life in an ordinary kind, ordinarily kind way. And the Bible says that when she died... That people lined up in her room to show Peter, hey, look Look what she, look what she did. Look at the impact she had on my life. Look what she, she meant to us. Look how kind she was. I wanted the same thing would be said about me and you. If you moved away from your neighborhood, would they say, man, I, I just want to talk to you about how kind that your family was to us. If you, if you stepped out of your workplace and you're a believer, would they talk about how kind you were? For many of us, if we're truthful, we're going, oh, shoot. <laughs> if I was to talk to you, to your family, and you're like, my family? You don't know my family. Let's not even talk about my family. I'll say, are you kind? Are you kind? Because here's the thing about, about kindness I think is so important, is more people have been brought to Jesus by the kindness of real Christians and their love than by all theological arguments that have ever happened in the history of the world. Kindness is like the sun and, 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 and some ice. It has the ability to melt hardened hearts. It has the ability to, to address mistrust trusted hearts. It has the ability to go down deep inside somebody's soul and do a work that only kindness can do. See, instead of just being loud with your, your mouth, kind people, they're loud with their hands. Instead of just being known for, for what you stand for, you're known for what you, what you serve with. And here's the cool thing about kindness, just three things as, as we wrap it up, is kindness has the, the power to heal people. It has the, has the power to heal. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ, he forgave you. One of my favorite quotes about kindness is this, it says, be kind to everyone. You never know what type of battle they're facing. Be, chances are if somebody's a jerk, they're facing some kind of battle. If somebody's angry, they're dealing with something eternally. Man, you've been healed. You are not a, a, a somebody who's living in reaction to other people. You are a responder. You are living in response to the kindness that God has given to you. And when his kindness flows in naturally, his kindness flows out. And when his kindness begins to flow out, man, you have the power to heal people. You have the power to bring hope in a hurting situation. You have the power to speak life when somebody feels like they're... They're dying. You have, you have the power with your face to smile at somebody when they feel like the world is, is frowning at them. I don't know if you knew that. You have the power to, to, to show that their humanity is worth something when you, you step back and you allow them to have something that's rightfully yours. And you say, you know what, I know who, who I am in Christ, and I know what opportunity he's given me. But the power to heal. Another one that I think you need to understand is, is that uh, kindness has the power to kill you ever hear the, the phrase kill them with kindness it comes from the Bible The Bible says in Romans, is told that it is if it is pos- possible As far as it depends on you live at peace with everyone. I love that verse and I hate that verse Do not take revenge my dear friends. What? Do not take revenge That, that, that it informs us that we're gonna, we're gonna have the chance to take revenge at some point do not take revenge But leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And I used to think to myself, that's a cool verse. You're going to be kind, and you're going to tick them off even more with your kindness. You're going to kill them with kindness. That's not what the Bible verse means. That's so unbiblical. What it's saying is when your fire starts to, to go down... Uh, the, the, the the embers or the coals at the bottom, and sometimes you got to move the coal around to, to create the fire again. So if you were to think about the top of, of somebody's head or their life spiritually, maybe maybe the fire of, of of God's presence and the and the future that God has planned for them is starting to grow grow go hardened in their heart. They're starting to lose hope, and maybe because of that, they react to you in a certain way, and you decide to respond differently. The Bible says, "In that you'll." will stir the coals in their life and maybe reignite the the fire of hope and reignite the fire of purpose. One of the most powerful videos floating around the internet this week, and maybe for for years that I've seen, is an assistant coach by the name of Monty Williams of the Oklahoma City Thunder. He was an NBA basketball player. His wife got killed in a head-on accident this week by a drunk driver and left him with five children. Five. Now, Listen. The truth of what you believe is always, is always made truthful uh, in the fire that you have to face. Like, like if you're a Christian and you leave this place and you, you always say, well, I would be better Christian if they didn't do this, you're not healthy. The truth is made evident when you face something like this. So he stands up at his wife's funeral and he could have gave the short answers about, you know, God's still good, blah, 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 but you could tell he's speaking with conviction and truth and he's talking about how God is still good And then he says something even more profound, he says, I want to pray. I want to pray for that other family, because they're hurting as well. The wife, or the the family of the the drunk driver, the the kids of the drunk, I want to pray for that family as well. Me and my kids, we're going to see my wife again, and man, the power to kill, because you know there's, Christians are angry about, can you believe this happened? He's a real believer. He's living not in reaction, but to response, and he says, God's still good. I'm going to offer my hand of kindness to this family. We're going to, suffer, we're going to suffer together. And I'm going to share the hope of Christ through being ordinarily kind in this situation. And, and, and lastly, uh, it has the power to thrill. And this is the, the most exciting part of, of kindness. The Bible, as we talk about stuff like encouragement and integrity, there's a proverb that, that basically says, uh, and just to make, just to, to ad lib it, it says, it says he, who, he who keeps everything to himself is, is never happy. This is my version of it. But those who refresh others are always refreshed. Like if you're miserable right now, it's probably because you're not letting anything flow out. You're, you're, you're constipated spiritually. You're backed up. You get backed up, it's painful. There's way too many Christians. They need to, they need to take a little ex-lax, right? spiritually being released. And so the way that you you're spiritually released and you're not bad is you you in the midst of your pain in the midst of you feeling mad in the midst of you being bitter you start to allow the Holy Spirit towards work and you begin to to reach out in kindness and man, it has the ability to thrill not only other people but yourself I always try to teach my son Carter about being a giver I don't know if you've ever tried to teach a kid that doesn't yet know Jesus about being a giver it's it's hard so I'm trying to teach him. He's also the first child. And we made a lot of mistakes when, we were, when, we, when he was young. In fact, we, we gave him everything he wanted because he was the first child. And we thought it was our job just to keep him happy. And now he paid the price for it. And so by the third one, we figured it out. If you want some advice, I'll give you some. And so, so I try to teach him. So this other day, he, he gets on the bus with the same two kids every day, 755, he gets on the bus. And this other day, this, this little Spanish boy was standing at his bus stop. He was in first grade. His mom and dad are standing there, and and I go up talk to his mom and dad. They don't speak a lick of of English, really, and so I don't speak any any Spanish at all. I took two years. I never listened, right? So I walked up. I I lied. The the guy kind of did, and I introduced myself, and he told me his name, and he said he's from Guatemala. I said, oh, you just moved here. And he said, no, I've been here seven years, but my wife just got here, and my boy just came up. So I looked at Carter, and I'm like, Carter, you got to sit with him. He's like, he doesn't speak English. He speaks Spanish. I don't know what to talk about. I'm like, just sit with them. Just sit with them. And so he gets on the bus, right? He walks on the bus and I'm watching it and I'm like, he's going to do it. He totally disobeys me and goes back to the normal seat. As he's pulling away, I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm going to whoop your butt when we get back. So he gets on the bus and I, t- I have a long talk to him about how, listen, I'm not trying to take something from you. I want you to feel the thrill of being kind. I want you to get if you can get that now it's going to change your life and so I talked to him I talked to him I talked to him and the main reason main reason he's not kind is because he's insecure same with you by the way you're not kind to people because you're insecure you can't look at them in the eyes because you're insecure the truth is your heart's not healthy if that's the case because you're secure in Christ you're found in Christ you're redeemed in Christ you were bought at a high price with Christ you're named son or daughter by Christ so I said, you got to do it, and the next day he gets on, and I can say he's struggling with being kind, and he ends up sitting in the front seat, and the little boy sits right beside him, and I'm like, yeah, you're going to get it, and he gets off the bus at the end of the day, and comes up he's like, I did it! I sat with him! And I was like, I know, and he's like, it's so exciting! In his voice, you could just hear the thrill of kindness. And in that moment, I, I didn't tell him, oh, good job, because... Because Jesus doing the work, but I, but I did stop to pray and say, God, just continue to do this in his life. Would you allow him to get the thrill of kindness in his soul? And there's something to being kind. There's the power of being ordinary. I'm not talking about being kind to strangers. I'm talking about being kind to the, to the enemy, being kind to the people that you know, being kind to the people that you work with. There's something there, something powerful. Would you stand with me all over this house? Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes? And as we get ready to pray, church, I believe God's going to give you an opportunity uh, as soon as you leave this place. He just is. so going we'll give you an opportunity to be kind, ordinarily kind, maybe to your wife, maybe to your kids, maybe to a family member. You're going to be kind. But as we close in prayer with nobody looking around, the Bible says that it's God's kindness that leads you to repentance. That's what the Bible says. It's God's kindness that led you to this moment in time, that you were an enemy of God, that I was the enemy of God. I I say this often, there's not good and bad people in this place, there's just not. There's not good and accomplished Christians in this place, no, no, no. There's people that were hopeless and were bought by the blood of Jesus Christ on that cross 2,000 years ago. So when we sing, we sing in His victory. When When we dance, we dance in His victory. When we have hope, we have hope in His victory. But the truth is, it was His kindness. It wasn't our searching, it wasn't our longing, it wasn't our work it wasn't our memorization of scripture it wasn't our attendance of church no no it was God's kindness that led us to repentance and that same kindness is here right now it's not a voice of condemnation it's not a voice of anger it's a voice of love telling you hey I got a plan and purpose for your life you've woken up every day of this this life you have and you've been without purpose and without meaning but I have something for your life." The Bible says you can have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. He died on a cross for your sins. He was put into a tomb. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. And it's that message that changes our lives forever. Forgives our sins, sets us free, heals our hearts, makes us kind, makes us full of patience. But it's a relationship with him that changes everything. So as we leave this place, maybe you don't understand everything that's happened today. But I can tell you that God's knocking at the door of your heart. And your job is to respond just like a child responds to a father when he needs him to pick him up. You just raise your hands in the air. And it's a sign that I need Jesus to be the Lord of my life. So at all three campuses with Pastor Bob and Pastor Jordan at Plymouth Meeting in Limerick, you say, you know what, today I'm going to respond to the gospel. It's God's kindness. I can feel him drawing me to himself. And as as you raise your hand, I'm not going to ask you to come forward or call you out. I'm just going to pray with you. And as I pray, you're going to pray. And the way you pray is you just talk to God like you would talk to a friend. He knows you better than you know yourself. So if you're in this place with a couple seconds left and you say, you know what, this is my day, this is my time, this is the time, that I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. This was an ordinary moment in my life, but God is about to accomplish extraordinary things. If you're in this room and you say, Pastor, that's me, you're at Plymouth meeting in Limerick, you say, that's me, would you just shoot your hand up without even thinking about it? Maybe God's knocking without worrying about who's looking at you. Just shoot your hand up in the air and say, you know what, today I see hands, I see a hand. Yes, is there anybody else today? I see, I see a hand. Yes. Does anybody else say, Pastor, that's me. I'm shooting my hand up in the air as we close. Anybody to my right to say, you know what, that's that's me, Pastor. That's me, Pastor. I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life right now. I need to follow him. I'm tired of living this life of emptiness and pain. Is there anybody at Limerick or Plymouth meeting who would raise your hand and say, Pastor, Pastor, that's me. I need to make Jesus the Lord uh, of my life. I'm going to respond to his kindness. His kindness has drawn me to repentance. Church, would you pray with me all over these houses? Uh, we're going to also rejoice with Limerick and Plymouth meeting. They both have a hand that's went up in the air. Would you clap with them all over this house as we agree with them in prayer? Yes, yes, yes. Let's pray together, church. Jesus, we love you, and we're so thankful for this day. We're thankful for this, the message of the gospel. We're thankful that it never returns void. I'm thankful for my friends in this room. I don't know at all, but you know them better than they know themselves, and you brought them to this moment. And Lord, it's not been your anger or your resentment or your disappointment with them. No, it's been your kindness that has drawn them to repentance. That word repentance means that today they're turning away from their old life and they're running to everything that you have for them, Lord. And Lord, as they grasp and they understand what you did for them on the cross, Lord, they're going to establish a trust with you. Trust builds faith and action. They're going to establish a heavenly trust with you that they understand how much you did for them. And they're going to trust you with the rest of their life, with every decision that they have to make. Lord, I'm thankful that just not a decision that they're making, but this is a relationship that they're beginning. You have the best days ahead of them, Jesus. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your people that gave and served today. Thank you for the chance we have to pro- proclaim your word and your gospel. Jesus, you're good to us. In your name we pray. And everybody here on our other campuses, you said amen. Amen, amen. Let's clap together.